He will never deal with us as our wickedness demands. Let me repeat that. He will never deal with us as our wickedness demands. What a wonderful truth that we sing of in that psalm today. That God does not deal with us based upon what we deserve. And He never will. But He will always show His loving kindness to us as children. And that's why we're here this morning. To give thanks to this God. To sing praises to Him. Because He's merciful to sinners like us. What a beautiful psalm that is. Well, to now is a time where we turn to the preaching of God's Word. And our text this morning comes from the book of Philippians that we are going to be making our way through in the next coming weeks and months. If you could turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and we will be in verses 3 through 11. Hear now the reading of the Word of the Lord. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, and in every prayer of mine for you, all my prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Ascends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's pray and ask God to be present with us as we hear him preach, speak to us through the preaching of the word. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, the God who speaks, and we pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, and that you would call us out of darkness and into the light of your glorious gospel, where we can find hope in the midst of this world, in the midst of the trials of this life. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive this word this morning. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Our text, this, our title for this sermon this morning is A Prayer to Finish. Now, some of you may have thought, reading the title for this sermon, thinking, yes, I need help finishing my prayers as well. I don't know how many of you have had moments in prayer where maybe you're on your knees or sitting in your chair and before you know it, your head tips back and it cocks back quickly because you just fell asleep in the middle of your prayers. Well, this morning this is not about a prayer to finish, to get to the end of your prayers, which I know can be a struggle for us at times, but it is actually a, a prayer that Paul gives us this morning that we may finish, that we may get to the end of our lives and actually finish, that the job is done, that it is complete. And I wonder if you have been in a circumstance where you wonder if it was going to be finished. 
Maybe you're a child and you have gone on a long road trip before. My family, we used to take road trips up to Oregon from Southern California, which was a 12 to 14 hour drive, sometimes even a 15 hour drive into further parts of the Northwest. And I had three other siblings, we were five years apart, and we would be in a chorus singing together these words, are we there yet? And you can imagine my parents' pain that they thought, we are just three hours into a 14-hour drive, and you are going to be asking us this for the next 11 hours. So the way my parents, and I'm sure many of you have done this to remedy that situation, is you drive through the night, because you know your children will be asleep, not asking you, are we there yet? Is it finished? Kids, have you asked your parents that question before? I believe you have. But the funny thing is, as we adults, we ask that question too. When we were driving up here to Florida, in my mind, I was running through, are we there yet? Are we there yet? There's this anticipation of where we are going, but we want it to be finished. We want to actually arrive where we're going. And oftentimes, there are threats and dangers along on the way. We don't want to be derailed on our process, getting to the destination that we want to go. We want it to be done. That's why we ask the question, are we there yet? Is it finished? Are we done? Are we actually going to be where we're going to enjoy family and friends together in the Christian life? Are we actually going to make it to the presence of our God and our King who welcomes us into His kingdom? Well, today, this is a prayer for us as we walk along this journey of life, expecting to make it to the end. Ultimately, that's the question that this text asks of us. Will we make it? Maybe you're here this morning and you're asking, will I make it as a Christian? Will I make it in this walk of the Christian life? It's too hard. It's too difficult. There's too many people that come against me and mock me and turn away from me because of my faith. There's too many difficulties in my own life, my own self, that make me think, am I going to make it to the end? Well, this is a prayer that God has given to us through his apostle Paul that we can pray together, just as Paul prayed for these Philippians, for us to make it to the end. And we're going to look at this sermon in three different points this morning. And the first point that we're going to look at is Paul begins with thankfulness. And he's thankful for the work that's begun in these Christians is he wants to point out the work that's already going on in their lives. And he wants to show his thankfulness for what God is doing as he brings them along. And Paul says, I thank my God always, making my prayer with joy. What brings you joy? What is it that you get up in the morning and you think, if I could do anything today, what would you do? What is it that brings you joy? Is it spending time with your family? Is it the holidays that are just right around the corner? When your family comes over, you eat an enormous amount of food, and you have a great time hanging out and enjoying company with each other. Maybe you, what brings you joy is going out and enjoying nature, going on a walk or a hike. Maybe it's going out to the lakes and enjoying the lakes. Maybe what brings you joy is watching your favorite sports team win the great championship that you've expected for them to win all along. That's certainly on my mind right now as a fellow San Diegan. 
But what is it that brings you joy? Well, what is it that brings the Apostle Paul joy here? Paul says, I make my prayer always with joy. What brings the Apostle Paul joy is reflecting on fellow Christians and their lives and seeing what God has done in them and what God is continuing to do in him. That is what brings Paul joy. In fact, that is what gets Paul out of bed in the morning. But why does he single this out? Why does he single out joy here? Well, it's because he's seen the love of the Philippians for the gospel. He sees in these believers that they love the gospel. They want to see the gospel go out to the nations. They want to see the work of the gospel continue. They want to see Paul's ministry throughout all of Europe continue. And he's joyful as a result of this. He knows that this is not something that comes from mankind. Humanity does not look at the gospel with joy. Our government is not raising money, not using their tax money to pay for the ministry of the church because it's not something that they delight in. Paul sees that in this little church, in a corner of modern-day Greece, that they are giving themselves to further the gospel. And that brings him joy because he knows that they want to see other people come to know the grace of God that they themselves have come to know. There's so much evidence for this church around them that says, you're not going to make it. As we looked at last week, they saw that Paul, here we learn that he's in jail. Paul is in jail. This great apostle whom they look to for guidance and leadership is in prison. Does this mean the gospel is not going to succeed? There's people who oppose their faith. There are false teachers that are making their way among them. Are we going to make it? And as we looked at last week, there's disunity in the church. Are we going to make it? And Paul wants to point to these believers, no, I found in you something that brings me joy continually. And that is something that you Christians need to hear today too. That your love of the gospel, your support of the ministry of this church and of the gospel abroad is a source of joy, not only to myself, but to the other leaders in this church and to those that lead the churches around you. That they see in this church ample reason for joy. But this is no ordinary work that's coming, that's occurring in the lives of these believers. And that convinces Paul that God is at work among them. So often we can look at the lack of fruit in our lives and think, what is God doing? What is God doing at work in us? Certainly the Philippians had all kinds of reasons to question what kind of work God was doing in them. We look at it and we despair. But Paul says, no, I actually see God at work in your life. I see God working in you, changing you and transforming you to love the very things that God himself loves. And that is a joyful, beautiful thing to see. But then Paul turns as a result of seeing the work that God is doing in them, and he wants to give them confidence, saying, this isn't just going to stop. 
This isn't just a one-time thing that God is doing in you, Philippians. He says in verse 6, And I am sure of this. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, and you're wondering to yourself, will I make it to the end? If you're a Christian, and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you ask yourself, will I make it to the end? It does not depend upon you to make it to the end. That is what Paul is encouraging the Philippians today. That it depends upon God. And he tells them God is the one who starts the work, this good work, in them. And God is the one who finishes the work in them. And our assurance is not grounded in our effort. Our assurance is grounded in God's effort. And what God does and the work that He is doing. And any work that God begins, He does not leave unfinished. Just as in creation, six days God created the world and He finished the work at the end of the sixth day. And the seventh day, He rests in that finished work. And so in us, His new creation, He has begun that work and He is going to finish it. He is going to bring it to completion in you. We know that if it depended on us, we wouldn't finish it. You might look around your house and see a million unfinished tasks continually that plague your mind thinking, when am I ever going to get on top of my to-do list around my house? Sometimes you might even take a vacation just for the purpose of finishing the work around your house. But God is not like us. He does not have unfinished business that he is never going to get to. And in most importantly, you are God's workmanship, as we read from the book of Ephesians. And he is going to finish you. He is going to make you complete and complete everything in you that he has planned for you. It's the great promise of this book of Philippians that God will finish the work that he has begun. God finishes what he starts. And it's important to see this, that God doesn't just save us at the beginning and leave us to go our own way and figure it out and make it to the end on our own effort. God does not partially save us. It is not half God and half man. But it is God fully saving us from beginning to end. God carrying out what He has planned. And God unites us to Jesus Christ, and that is our hope, that He will finish us in the end, that He will complete the work that He has done, because Jesus, the Son of God, is united to us. And He will cause us to grow more and more throughout our lives, despite our failings, despite how we fail to live up to what God has called us to be, that He will make us to become more and more like Christ all the way until the very end when Christ returns. And that is Paul's first prayer and his first reason of giving thanks. He's thankful because he sees the good work that God is doing and he's thankful because he knows God is going to finish this in you believers. And that's your hope today, that God is going to finish the good work 
that he has begun in you. But this prompts something for Paul. He sees what's going on in the lives of these Philippian believers, and he's overflowing with affection towards them. Listen to how he describes this. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He sees what God is doing among them. He sees how the Philippians are pouring themselves out, giving themselves to Paul. And Paul has this deep affection for them in this life. And is that not what we need when we feel despair, when we feel troubled, when we feel uncertainty in life? That we need affection, not just love as a broad category, but affection, the way that it expresses itself towards us. Paul is not a life coach. He's not giving good advice here. Your life coach may or may not have affection for you. They may not like you but you're paying them money and they're giving you good advice about how to conduct your life. And there's worthwhile reasons to do things like that to figure out when we are in difficulties. But that's not what is happening here. Paul is not giving good advice of ways to improve their lives. Paul is an affectionate, loving person towards these Philippians. And we need this letter here for us today that God has affection for us. Now, affection is a strange thing in our society. Oftentimes, affection is viewed as a weakness. People don't like to show affection because it's viewed as you're less than or you're weak. You're happy. So we become stoic. Often, this is hardly a trait that men can express. Men don't want to show affection for one another. We don't hug, we don't even shake hands. Men, we know the the head nod, where we kick our head back and we say hello like that. It's a way of saying a greeting, but we don't want to show affection. I don't think Paul would have any of this. Paul is overflowing with affection. We're afraid of affection because it's vulnerable. It's showing that we're vulnerable to other people. And we don't like to be vulnerable. C.S. Lewis describes love and affection this way. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid, Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And this is the strangeness of affection, is that it actually requires strength. The strongest man is the most affectionate man. He's not afraid to show affection. He's not afraid to use his words to show his love for other people. 
He's not afraid to encourage others, to say, I love you. I am thankful for you. I care about you. How can I help you? He's not afraid to open up his heart to others, to reveal what is going on in himself for others. A husband is not concerned with showing affection to his wife. A mother is not concerned with showing affection to her children. And a friend is not concerned with showing affection to a friend. So we as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ should not be concerned about showing affection to one another. We can be afraid of showing affection because we might be thought of as weak. But the man who is afraid to show affection, the woman who is afraid to show affection, is the one who is truly weak as Paul shows. And so what we need to know is that we are loved by the body of Christ, that we are cared for by others. That's what Paul wants them to know. I care for you. We need to know that. We need to know that others around us care for us and they have affection for us. But more than this, we need to know that we are loved with the affection of Christ Jesus. We need to know that we are loved by Christ. Paul here says he loves them with his affection. No, that's not what he says. He says, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We must know that whatever love we have towards other believers cannot supplant or fully deliver the love that they need. We can only love them with the love that Jesus Christ puts in our hearts. The best that we have to offer to other believers is the love of Christ. That's all that we have to offer. The love that we share with one another is simply an outworking of that love that we have received from Christ. And what we must see here is that that is how Christ loves us. That He has affection for us. He has not been weak, but He has been strong by giving Himself completely over for us. He poured out everything for our sakes. He endured the worst possible treatment for us. Because He loves us. Because He cares for us. But it's more than this. Jesus Christ didn't just show his love for us on the cross when he raised from the dead, when he rose from the dead, but he loves us now. He cherishes us believers. He looks upon you as his prized possession, that you belong to him. He has deep affection for you. That will not waver and will not change. The world is always going to be a place where we feel like affections from others waver. Husbands and wives, friends, parents and children, fellow congregants in a church, maybe young people in a relationship, in that dating relationship where you think that person loves me one day and then they don't the next. Human love is often a fickle thing. 
Sometimes people's love for us wavers because we've done something to cause it to waver. And we feel that. And sometimes we know that their love for us wavers because they're weak. Their own sinfulness has come in the way. But that is not the way of Christ's affection for you. It does not change. And that is the fountain of our courage and hope is that we're loved by Christ. That He cares for us. And we are cherished by Him. And Christ loves us, interestingly, from this passage, not because God works in us, Often Christians confuse this. Often we think, well, God will love me the more he works in me. And this is backwards. God works in you because Christ loves you. God does his work in you because he loves you. God changes you. He transforms you. He causes you to do those things that are pleasing in His sight because He already loves you. And that is the hope that we need to have as Christians as we walk this life fraught around us and inside of us with things that are going to cause us to doubt. And that is why Paul is giving thanks for these believers and why Paul is praying for them. He wants them to know his affection for them. But ultimately, he wants them to know the affection of Christ Jesus. But the love that he shows is just a picture, a small mirror of the love of Christ that he has for his people. That God loves his people. But Paul does not stop there. Not only does he give thanks for what God is doing among his people, he prays for that work to continue. Listen to what he says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. The first thing we learn from this prayer that Paul lays down as his petition is that we do not cease growing as Christians. There is no point in your Christian life where you arrive. Where you say, I'm done. I'm perfect. Or I'm good enough. There's no point in your Christian life where you can say, I don't need to worry anymore. God is formed perfectly in us. Now, that could be a source of pride for some people. But that can also be a source of despair for people. Because as Christians, we might say, I need to arrive at this certain place in order to be a really good Christian. I hold out this ideal picture of what it means to be a Christian. And if I arrive at that place, then everything is going to be okay. Now, we want to be mature Christians. We want to be responsible Christians and Christians who do love. But Paul says, no, I'm praying that your love will continue to grow. Even the best Christian among us right here in this building still has more to grow in love. There is no cruise control in the Christian life. But this is not some kind of burden for us. 
It's something that we continually grow into. Paul is not laying this on the believers as a burden saying, you need to grow in love more and more. Now get your act together. He says, no, I'm praying that you grow into who God is making and shaping you to be. It is the beautiful thing of the Christian life that we can continue to grow to love even more deeply and showing the affection of Christ that we have received. But who is Paul praying to? What does Paul say? I pray that your love will abound more and more. Paul knows that our growth in the Christian life comes from God's work. It's not something we produce from ourselves. This is not a self-help video on the television saying, love. Just do it. Pull your bootstraps together. No, he says, I'm praying that God would do this in you. Because if God does do not do it in you, then you are without any help whatsoever. And so he prays. He turns to God. And so often we find in ourselves that the lack of love that's in our hearts is because we fail to turn to the Lord. Listen to what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Do you want to grow in love, Christian? Go to the Lord and pray to Him and ask Him. What does Jesus tell us? Ask and it will be given to you. Ask the Lord to cause you to abound in love. And God is faithful. That is a prayer that he will hear. And it's the mystery of the Christian life is that love is something that God produces in us as we depend upon him. See, God actually works in us as we humble ourselves. As we say, I don't love the way I ought to love. It's this weird reality where we actually admit, I don't love the way I'm supposed to. I'm not a very good lover. I'm not very good at showing love to others. And that is the prayer that God hears. As we cast ourselves more completely on God, God will then work in us. It's counterintuitive to the way that we think. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. A humble person realizes, I don't live up. I don't love. And so I need to ask the Lord to work in me what's pleasing in his sight. I need to pray this prayer along with the Apostle Paul that God would cause me to abound more and more in love. But Paul knows something about the nature of love, at least from a human perspective. That we humans in our minds, can conceive of love as this gushy, gooey emotion. 
And we see this all the time in TV shows and commercials and in popular literature about the way that people conceive of love. But Paul has a very specific way he wants us to understand love. That in order to love the way that Christ does, we need two things. We need knowledge and we need discernment. See, a love that is built exclusively upon emotion and feeling, which is important, we need the emotion, we need the feeling to love. But if it's built exclusively upon that, then our love will be all over the place. Paul wants our love to be directed. In order to know how to love, in order to love well, we need to know what to love. We need to know how to love. We need wisdom to do this right and to do this well. That your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment or insight. This is a love that understands what's appropriate and when it is appropriate to give. Ultimately, it's a love of the right things in the right way. What do you do when an extended family member calls and says, I need money? Do you give them money? Do you show love? Is, that, is it always right whenever somebody asks you for money to give them money? You've been in that scenario. Somebody calls you and asks you for money. Do you give it to them? What does love tell you? What do you do when you hear when somebody in the church is sick? Do you get in your car and immediately drive over to their house? Is that the right thing to do in that moment? How do you respond in the moments in ministry when church asks, the, asks you for money? When the church says, we need to raise money for this venture that we're doing. Do you just open your checkbook and write whatever is the amount that they need, even if you don't have it? See, love needs wisdom, it needs knowledge, and it needs discernment. What do you do when a woman is in an abusive relationship with her husband? Do you help? Do you jump in to help? Or do you call somebody else to come in to help? What do you do? See, love is this interesting thing where in order for love to work best, we need knowledge and discernment to do it well. This is an essential aspect of loving others, is that we need knowledge. We need to understand the situation so that we know how best to act in that situation. And that is why Paul prays for these believers, that they would grow in knowledge and discernment so that their love would be effective. That when they show the love that is in their heart, that it would be applied in the right way, in the right time, in the right moment. How often do we have those things where our heart aches because we want to help, but we don't know what to do? That is why we need this discernment that Paul prays for. And Paul prays that God would give it to these believers, and so should you and I. So should we. Praying, ask the Lord, Lord, help me to know how to love others. 
And he ends this passage this way, so you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, ultimately what Paul is praying is a prayer to finish. He is praying for these believers that they will make it to the end. Now he has already given all of us confidence that yes, if God has begun that work in you, he will bring you to the end. He will do it. And this is the way that he will do it. The way that he will carry you along to the end is by working love in you to be ready for when Christ returns. When we live our lives in dependence on God, we look to him who has promised to carry us all the way through this life to the day that our Savior Jesus will bring us home to be with him. That is the way that we make it to the end is by trusting and resting in our God who works in us and turning to Him continually. He is the one who begins the work in us. He is the one who carries that work along. And He is the one who will finish the work in the end in us. It is by grace that you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So whatever circumstance in your life where you may be asking that question, am I going to finish? Am I going to make it to the end? This is a prayer for you that Paul has given that you can pray to fill your heart with hope and confidence that yes, indeed, those who trust in Jesus Christ will make it to the end. So pray this prayer. Let it be a part of your prayers for your life. And rest and trust in your God who will save you completely from beginning to end. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks to you that you are the God who works in us what is pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we pray with Paul that you would give us love, that you would cause our love to abound more and more. Help us not to be complacent Christians, but to know the affection and love of Christ in our lives, that we would want to show that love and affection towards others around us, that we would want to show that love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would give us knowledge and discernment as we love, that we would love well. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who has loved us and who has given himself to us, that we who are dead in our sins has made us alive together with him. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.